Okay, let's get started on some of these fun toys. This is our practicum time here. And we've got a whole bunch of things. Um, I think I'll get this one started and then we'll set up the blood pressure cuff. I always like to check in my fitness classes people's blood pressures and usually like to do it the first night when they come in. We also like to do the percent body fat and things and sometimes we do a complete fitness evaluation. Not always, but when I work with corporations I always did a complete fitness evaluation. And so we would start and here's where your baseline and then you know three months, six months down the road we would test again and see changes. And of course there's nothing more motivating than success, right? So if people are losing, their percent body fat's coming down, and their strength levels are going up, and their aerobic capacity's going up, that encourages people. And then we would test them periodically and see how they're doing. This one is for percent body fat and BMI, and does them both at the same time. And it's a little process that measures the resistance in your body. And they have a formula based on your age and other data we put in to calculate your percent body fat. Now, think about it for just a minute. Uh, what is fat? Does that conduct electricity well? Fat is an insulator. It does not conduct electricity well. Muscle is mostly water, and it is a good conductor. And so based on that principle, and your height and weight and age and gender and so on, they've developed formulas that predict your percent body fat fairly closely. So to do it, I'll show you how. You push the on button. And uh, it comes up and it says guest. That's what we want. And uh, so we hit set. Uh, it has a, if you're not a guest, the, op the opposite of that would be if you're doing it for yourself, it'll keep records in the machine. But a guest just means we doesn't store the data, it just goes on and on. Then the next one comes up and it flashes normal. I always get a kick out of this. Are you normal or are you abnormal? <laughs> what normal means is you don't have a real regular exercise program. Okay. Now, if you're out doing 20 miles or more a week of uh, walking and other kinds of things, then you'd be an athlete. And so then you put up or down, one of these toggles it, and now it says athlete. Okay, so that's more accurate for those who are exercising regularly. So you hit set again, and then it asks for your height, and you push up to whatever that is, and set it, and then it asks for your weight, and you run that up to whatever your weight is or down, if you hold it down, it goes fast. Otherwise, it just goes a little bit at a time. And then you set whatever your weight is, and then it asks for your age. And it only goes up to 60. So uh, if you're older than 60, just set it at 60. <laughs> <laughs> and then you're ready to start. Oh, no, it asks for your gender. And it's flashy and first came up on male. If you're a female, just toggle it again using the up or down. And then that's, and you set it. And then it shows everything at once, and if that's all correct. Then you put your hands around it, so your thumbs go over the top. These go on your palms, and your thumbs go over the top. And you hold it, don't squeeze it. It's not a squeezing machine, but just hold it firm. And then somebody push the start button for me, that green one. Okay, then you just stand quietly and hold it out here. And it measures the conductance in your body. And based on that conductance, it tells you what your percent body fat is and what your BMI is. Now, according to the chart, I calculated my BMI is 27 this morning. This says 27.1. So it's just a little more accurate and calculates the exact amount. And then it shows the percent body fat. 
It's more than 14. <laughs> Where did they come That's a these? nice they idea. These on the health age appraisals? I mean, on the, on the uh, health age? Uh, no, it was not done in the original study in which that was based on, so they didn't have percent body fat. But they did have height and weight. It does calculate by Are BMI. Are more accurate than the scales? Um, so it's a good question. He's asking, is percent body fat more accurate than the scales? The scales are good as a general, and you can calculate your BMI based on your height and so on there. But what it doesn't do, uh, it doesn't individualize it. So it doesn't know whether you're sedentary or whether you're exercising a lot. Uh, different people can be weigh the same and want to be over fat, and the other one can be just muscular and very lean. So this individualizes it to the person. Uh huh. Goes right through here. And the scales are the low part of the body. Mm -hmm. It kind of goes, kind of goes through the whole body, this and mm -hmm. so uh, it estimates. It's pretty close. Uh, we used to, before they had these simpler ones, we used to weigh people underwater. And if you've ever done that or not, we had a big tank and a little seat that you sat on, and we'd dunk you underwater, and we had a little scale above there, and make you breathe out all your air, and go down, and and you see how much you weighed underneath water. If you had a lot of fat, you'd have to put a brick or two on them to get them underwater. Because <laughs> they, they'd have a negative weight. <laughs> and if they had a lot of muscle, then it was easier to get them down. They'd have to sit real quickly or quietly, and we'd, we'd weigh it, and then we have the formula that you can put it into. And it was fun. People had a big time. We call it the baptismal tank at the hospital. <laughs> and we baptized, I don't know how many thousands of people. <laughs> but this is a little easier. <laughs> And it's a, what is this? This is a, uh, uh, an instrument that gets people's attention, isn't it? And it also sets a benchmark so you can show progress and show outcomes and things. But I like it best for just getting people's attention. And we had these at one of our workshops here, and the lady bought it and took it home. By the way, you can get them out here at the desk if you'd like one. They're not very expensive. Uh, and she bought one, and she went home, and on the airplane, she pulled it out put it all together, and she was measuring her percent body fat, and the lady sitting next to her says, what is that? I said, well, this measures my percent body fat. Oh, I'd like to do that. Can I do it? <laughs> yeah, so she showed her how to do it, and she did it for her, and then they talked about weight control a little bit. And pretty soon, the guy sitting behind, you know, he leans over the seat. <laughs> he says, what, what are you doing up there? <laughs> and he said, oh, can I do mine? So she gets up and goes back and does his, and pretty soon, here she is going up and down the aisle in the airplane, checking everybody's percent body fat. <laughs> And talking about good health and exercise and, and things that she'd learned in the class, you know. And, and uh, the whole way home, she was lecturing everybody about healthy living. So what does it do? It creates that educational moment, doesn't it? And you can use them at health fairs and, and in your fitness classes and all different kinds of things. And it gives you a chance to start talking about weight. Now, it's better to do it that way than just to come up and tap somebody on the shoulder and say, David, I would like to talk to you about your weight. <laughs> How's that going to go over? <laughs> Not very good. But here the instrument comes up and tells you what it is, and then they say, well, what can I do? <laughs> what should I do? And so that you can talk to them about exercise and about healthy eating and the things we're learning about. So it creates that educational moment, doesn't it? <clears throat> How much is it? <laughs> I don't know, but it's not very much. I think it's maybe $39 or something. When we first bought them years ago, they paid $5,000 a piece for them. Wait till you get from Walmart? Now they make them in mass, mass uh, I doubt it. <laughs> they make them in mass volumes, and, and then the prices come way down.
Body fat analyzer? Yes. Uh huh. $45. Oh, $45. You are okay, and you, you look real close when you first turn it on, and it says guest, and so you push set. Then it says normal. Okay, and do you exercise uh, yeah. an hour a day or so? Yeah. Okay, so you push the up or down arrow and turn it to athlete. The, the up would be the athlete. Doesn't matter either one. Okay, and then and then set everything you do set afterwards. No, you push start. Oh, now you have to start over from the beginning. Okay, so. So you just go through and follow the instructions on the screen. That's all. So it's just a person who doesn't exercise regularly and somebody who exercises regularly. And I have just used the thing, do you exercise at least 30 or 60 minutes a day? That puts them in the athlete category. All right, now while they're doing that one, we'll get another one going here. We're gonna play with all the fun tools today are you uh, have you done your blood pressure recently <clears throat> blood pressure is an easy thing to check we have new little self-testing units now all you have to need to know is how to put the cuff on correctly and I'll demonstrate that and let me get it plugged in here <clears throat> And any group that you go with, if you go to your church and offer this, what percentage of your people in your church will have high blood pressure? About one out of every three to four people will have high blood pressure. They don't realize it, many of them. And even those who do realize it, they're not doing anything about it. <laughs> and so it's a real common problem and we said Earlier today, how many people die prematurely from high blood pressure each year in the United States? 390,000 people. 390,000 people. So I keep one of these right in my office, and anybody in the office that wants to come up and check it, it's there for them to use and things too. And, um, and check it regularly. I check mine about every week, just like I check my weight every week and the blood pressure starts to go up a little, what do I do? I'm more careful. <laughs> I exercise a little more and I cut back a little on what I'm eating and cut way back on the salt. And anyway, over the years, by monitoring that, I've kept it down in a healthy range. Now, when you're taking a blood pressure, there's some key things you need to know. Number one is the person needs to be sitting quietly for five minutes, that's the uh, criteria. So all of you would qualify, but I don't. <laughs> uh, it just standardizes the test again, because when you stand or if you're up front speaking or something, you're a little more uh, involved and your blood pressure will be up a little bit. But what we want is the resting compared to the norms. So you would have the person sit quietly for five minutes, and when we're doing screenings, we usually have them fill out a questionnaire or something while they're doing that, and they're sitting quietly, and then they come over and we check their blood pressure. Now when you put this on, you notice it's got a little arrow here. That arrow needs to point down to this part of the body, right in here. So it should be kind of in the center, pretty close to the center there. And this, of course, needs to be down. Sometimes if you put it upside down, it's not gonna work because this is where that little microphone is that listens. And you have your artery right there. And that's what it's listening for is the blood pressure. So first thing is putting it on correctly. 
Second thing is you want the heart, the, this at the same level as the heart. So you don't want it down here and you don't want it up on something. To be a true heart rate, this needs to be the same level as your heart. So basically if you have a table there, have them set it there. And then just have them relax and you push the start button. Tell them not to talk, just to sit quietly and it'll take the blood pressure. The first time you turn it on, it's wanting to know what time it is and the date. And you have to read the instructions to know how to do that, I guess. And we'll pass, bypass that. Okay, so it tells both your blood pressure and your pulse. And uh, it's fun. Also in your exercise program, remember we said to check your pulse. This would be an accurate, a little more than probably what people would take themselves. And you can jot this down. So mine says 127 over 83. Mine is normally under 120 over 80, but because I'm standing and talking and doing things, it's going to obviously be up a little bit. But still not bad. So let's put down some norms over here. And you'll find these norms on your fitness sheet. Remember that uh, fitness index? You'll find norms for blood pressure too, but let's just put up, these are national norms, which your blood pressure should be. Uh, normal or healthy is less than 120 over 80. And what we'll find that if you look at mortality levels and, and blood pressures and heart attacks and so on, the risk goes down and down and down until you get down to about 115 over 75. And then from then on, it's pretty flat. Anytime your blood pressure starts up from 115 over 75, there's a measurable increase in your mortality. For every 20 points, the systolic or top number goes up, you double your risk of a heart attack or stroke. And that's pretty much a straight line relationship. So the higher your blood pressure, the more likely you are to have a heart attack or stroke. High blood pressure is defined now as 140 over 90 or higher. So by the time you're up here, you see that's that 20 point spread, isn't it? This is 20 points higher, this is uh, 10 points higher. So you're already at twice the risk of a heart attack or stroke. So that's usually when the doctor wants to start treating your blood pressure. But the first thing you should always do is try lifestyle changes because about 70% of all blood pressure can be, controlled, can be controlled by lifestyle changes. We have studies that do that within six months. Okay, then in between, we call it pre-hypertension. And that's kind of the gray area again, but already in this zone you have increased risk. So anything that's 120 over 80 to 139 over 79 is called prehypertension. You are at increased risk, but it's a moderate risk. This is high risk. This would be normal or healthy. And uh, we do have an intervention out there or a program that's just on hypertension, about an hour and a half program. And we're also putting one on the web.
just finished it. It's a six-week program where people can study it themselves on the web and learn what are the six basic things that you can do in controlling your blood pressure. Anyway, it's a great thing to do in your program, and you get people's attention again. And if it's high, you know, it's another indication that they need to pay attention to their body. And then I like to go one step further. And if it's in this zone here, and first thing, if it's in their zone, we'll have them rest for a little while and take it again. But if it remains in that zone after two or three times of checking, you are at increased risk, and you're on your way up to this, and we need to begin to make changes in your lifestyle to get back to this level. And exercise and healthy eating and watching the salt and other kinds of things in our diet and lifestyle can help bring those down. Okay, so. Is that uh, recommended over the stethoscope? The yes. It is? Easier to do. And uh, some interesting studies have been done. One study, they said, we're going to have the doctors check all your blood pressure. And they, sent, they took a large number of people, several thousand. They had them go to their doctors and check it periodically. And then they looked at who uh, developed complications and things in the future years. The other group, they bought this exact same Omron uh, home one for blood pressure, had them go home and take their blood pressures. And then over after several years, they compared. And they found that the people who checked it in their home was more predictive of who's actually going to have a problem than the one they did at the doctor's. And what do you suppose? Well, they, it was easier to do more often. And, and when you go to the doctor, you get nervous. Here comes the doctor with his white coat and his stethoscope, and he's doing all those things to you. And as you get nervous and tense, what happens to your blood pressure? <clears throat> and so they found that they, actually the one that was done at home was a better predictor. And so it's a good thing to have. And then you can take what we encourage people to do then is write it down. Take it at home, write it down, take it to your doctor, and the next time, and show him. And you can show him for the next last two, three months. There's my blood pressure's been running. The doctor will be glad to have that data. And uh, so that's, uh, it's good. Both so are good. Why don't we just dispense with those and just use these? <clears throat> well, the doctors have been doing that for years. And the uh, second thing that they can do is they can listen and see if you have any abnormal heartbeats. If this has any abnormal heartbeats on here, you'll see a triple heart. In other words, showing that that's an irregular heart rate. Yeah, and then you need to ask your doctor, what does that mean? May be a problem or may not, but at least it'll pick up the irregular heart rates. They will always be different. They'll always be a little bit different. They shouldn't be a lot different. If they're 20 or 30 points different, that means you probably have a coarctation or a constriction in your aorta between the left and the right arm. And uh, that can be a medical condition. I have a physician friend who has that. Check it in this arm, it's one thing. Over here, it's about 30 points higher. And so that usually is an indication. But usually, they'll be within five points of one another. So if you're doing repeat testing, always do it in the same arm so that you can get it small changes. You had a comment, too. Well, I, I was kind of tuned out there for a minute while I was doing that. But <coughs> you may have said this, and I missed it. Uh-huh. It's not more accurate. It, it's just that it's home in the situation in which you're living. It's more predictive of what your real blood pressure is and what you may have in the problem. Yeah. In a health expo, it's also more useful because everybody's talking and you can't hear. You can't hear, can you? And it's not accurate. Uh huh. And yet they claim that this is less accurate. 
Well, they're used to that, and uh, it depends. It all depends on whether their uh, blood pressure has been uh, uh, calibrated recently or not. <laughs> what about taking the pick with the over the shirt or the sleeve? You can do that if you have to. Uh, if they don't have a short sleeve or something, you can't get it up. Get it as high as you can. Just make sure it's smooth and not bunched up under there. So when you put it on, it, as much as possible, it's nice to have the microphone right on your here. But you can do it through the shirt. Okay? The main thing, having people sitting, when you're taking it, they shouldn't be talking. They should be sitting quietly. I tell them to think of pleasant thoughts. <laughs> And uh, then that kind of helps standardize it too. Okay, so taking blood pressure is real important, and it and it's real fun because I just remember our last class we finished in Portland, and this was ten weeks been in the class. People were telling their testimonies of what they had done. This one fellow says, "I came here because I had high blood pressure, and my doctor sent me." And he says he's taking me completely off of blood pressure medicine now. And he says, I'm eating healthfully, and I'm exercising, and I've lost a little weight. And he says, I don't need the blood pressure medicine anymore. Well, that's neat, isn't it? Now, we don't tell people that they can stop taking their blood pressure because they may need it. <laughs> but the doctor had been uh, following it and checking it, too, and it was down low enough. And he said, you don't need it anymore. So uh, that's exciting, isn't it? And it's nice to track that kind of information. All right. <clears throat> so we've got blood pressure here. And is the, uh, the body fat thing going around so that you're trying it? If you get stuck, ask for questions. Who had it? Right behind you. Okay. Now, we'll do one or two more. This is a little one we use for strength. <clears throat> and you can do bench presses and you can do push-ups and other ways, but this is just a simpler way. And it correlates fairly closely with your overall strength of the body. If you're low here, you usually be low every place else. Uh, it's a uh, good, good general indicator. One study that was done with this is they tested people for their strength. And then 25 years later, they went back and saw who was in the rest home and who wasn't. <laughs> and they found that the people who scored high on their strength were only about one-third as likely to be in the rest home as those people who had high strength levels 25 years ago. So it's a good way to help people to see uh, how their overall strength is. And if it's low, what does it mean? Well, I said, this means you haven't been doing any strength exercises, right? And they always say, yeah. <laughs> so we need that. That's why it's important. So again, it's a motivator. And <clears throat> the way this works is you turn it down here. You can either hold it out or hold it here. The main thing is don't flip it, because if you flip it, the needle goes up, see, a little bit, so it's not accurate. But just hold it steady, and then just have the person squeeze as uh, hard as they can. 58. That's the way I calibrate it, because I've been doing 58 for several years. <laughs> if it's way off, I know it. <laughs> and uh, then have them do it on the other side. And you'll have a dominant side. One will be stronger than the other. So on this side, it's only 55. And then you put those two numbers together. So I'll just use this as an example. Pardon? That's called a Svigmo. No, this is called a Svigmo manometer, and this is a dynamometer or a hand grip machine. So what do we have? We had 55 and 58. So it'd be 113, it's in kilograms. Now, 
Is that good or bad? How do we know? So we look up our norms. <laughs> and uh, go back again. Is this mine or yours? Fine, okay, I was thinking so. And you go back to your fitness index and go on the back, here's all the norms again. <clears throat> and you'll see one that says grip strength norms. Is that in here too? Uh, no, that particular one isn't. <clears throat> we'll probably put it in the next edition. And so we go back here and then you look and uh, what does it say? Uh, grip strength norms, if I'm in a man and a six, I'm in the 60s, if I want to be in the excellent, what should it be at least? 102. 102. So I made it, didn't I? Yeah, you're still excellent for even the 50s category. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of fun to look at it that way, isn't it? So it just shows again that if you're exercising regularly, you slow down that aging process, don't you? So. Okay, they're separate and independent uh, ways of measuring components of health and fitness. You can be overweight and be highly fit. Did you know that? Just all depends on how much exercise you're doing. You can be normal weight and be very unfit. See, so there's, they're separate and independent. <clears throat> if you're overweight, <clears throat> it's much to your advantage if you're also fit. You have a high aerobic capacity. Uh-huh. See? And so if you continue your exercise on a regular basis, you can move that up to being highly fit. And at the same time, your weight's going to start coming down. And then working on the portion sizes and keeping the sugar down and eating the whole foods and the low-calorie foods and those, all those kinds of things help too, don't they? But you can be. And, and there's a consolation is this, is that if you are highly fit and overweight, your risk is much lower than if you're overweight and sedentary. <laughs> so it does help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> We're focusing on health. For good health, you need to be active, you need to be eating well. If you do those two, then the third thing you'd want to look at is the weight. But if you're doing those two and do it for several years, the weight has a tendency to, to move in the right direction. But a lot of people will never get skinny. When you work with a lot of weight control programs, you'll find that the majority of people will never get skinny. <laughs> but all of those people can get fit. And if you get fit, most of the risks go away even if they don't get skinny. Some of us are ex exactly. <laughs> uh -huh. But you can be fit, and you can be highly fit. And when you do that, your blood pressure comes down, your glucose comes down, your cholesterols come down, your HDLs go up. All the good things that exercise does for you still happens even if you don't get skinny. <clears throat> so what we're really talking about here is in fitness, and that's based on your exercise. Now, you'd like to get the weight down too, and you'll find that you will the exercise will do two things. One, it'll help to keep you from getting worse. And what do most people do as they get older? They just keep on piling on more pounds of fat, see? So if you can stabilize it, that's a good goal to reach. Secondly, if you can reverse it a little bit, that's a good goal too. But you probably won't get most of them skinny. Occasionally, but it's rare. <laughs> just a fact of life. <laughs> if you want to increase that reading over there, what about just the 
Uh huh. Will that increase that? It will, but what we really, but what we really want to do is, in, it, this is just an indicator of your overall body mass index. I mean, not your body mass, your lean body mass, your muscle mass, and so if that's low, it's probably saying that your overall lean body mass is a little low. And so you want to do all the weight training because as you're doing the curls, you're also strengthening your grip, aren't you? As you're doing the ball, the pull down, the lat pull down and things, you're not only strengthening your back, but you're increasing your grip again. So all the muscles, you need to increase the muscle mass for all the muscles. Mm -hmm. That's like taking an exam at school and you were low, you were good in everything except maybe math and you were low in math. Uh, if you'd studied your math, your math will come up, but your English skills won't and your geographic skills won't and whatever. So you need to study everything, and it's kind of the same way in fitness. <coughs> All right, so you can always look on the norms and find it there. Blood pressure norms are there as well. And I'm also going to put up the percent body, uh, the, well, it's got the waist norms. This one doesn't have percent body fat. Oh, that does too, doesn't it? Now, these percent body fat norms are from the American College of Sports Medicine. They're kind of strict. <laughs> I was going to put up the Institute of Medicine because they're, they're a little uh, easier. So I looked down here, and to be uh, at, at uh, my age on percent body fat, it says 22.1 to 25% body fat. So to be in the uh, good category, I would need to be less than that, wouldn't I? So I need to be uh, less than 22. To be in the excellent uh, is 10 to 18. And I probably won't ever end up in that excellent. But anyway, that gives you an idea to look at in there on percent body fat. And what if you have a, a low BMI and a high body fat, then what? Like mine was 22 BMI. Uh huh. That's okay. Uh huh. But the body fat's at 26, and that's bad. Should be less than 25. Right. So one is low and one is high. So which one should you? Uh, <laughs> Should you gloat over? Yeah. <laughs> Whichever one is best. <laughs> no, what that is saying is that uh, if you begin to exercise more and build up your lean body mass, you, you will build up lean functional tissue and some of the fat tissue will go away. But the BMI is still low. The BMI will stay the same, but your percent body fat will improve. See, and that's why the percent body fat is a better test for especially in an exercise program. Because we have a lot of people whose BMIs stay the same, but their percent body fat goes down month by month. Like we had the one lady that was BMI went from uh, about 27 down to 18. I mean her percent body fat, but her, but her weight stayed exactly the same. It's probably best, yeah. So they can give good quality advice. Mine was about the same about 26%. But I probably weigh quite a bit more than you do. But I thought you said the older you get, the, the fat increase. Fat the usually goes up, yeah. percent body fat. BMI doesn't necessarily. So that's okay. Uh, as long as it's in the, the healthy range, you look on the norms. <laughs> See, so mine was running about 26 too. So if I was counseling myself, I'd say, well, you'd be better off if you could be below 25. See, that'd be a little goal you could work for, work towards. I've been working at it for 60 years now. <laughs> but, the, but you look at my brother, see, <laughs> that he's uh, 
even after he's lost his 80 pounds, he's still around 240 pounds. And my older one was 460, so I'm making some progress. <laughs> Uh, if you don't have something like this, BMI is the next best thing, or the waist circumference. But if I have a percentage of body fat, uh, that's a little more specific. I can use that. I don't need the BMI. I don't need both. Uh, there are two different ways of looking at it, and sometimes people have a hard time because they don't always agree. <laughs> but if you understand the concept behind it, it gives you something to talk to that person about. So uh, either one is okay. BMI works for most people because most people are kind of average. But if you get people who are really fit or people who are really sedentary out at the extremes, they may be, the one who's really sedentary may be over fat but not overweight. The person who's real muscular might be overweight but not over fat. See, so I'm about 35 pounds heavier than you are. See, and I'm closer to 180, so about 40 pounds heavier. But I've done a lot of fitness things over the years. So not all of that weight is fat weight. So we're but the same percent body fat. Isn't that interesting? But 40 pounds difference. So that's where the percent body fat helps us, whereas the BMI doesn't give us much help there. If you have a high BMI, you More muscle mass. It is because most people tend to be more average. But you get somebody who isn't, then it's nice. I say, I, I find those people all the time in the fitness class and say, well, we're going to bring out the percent body fat test here and test you that because I think that'll be better for you. It's just you, you get more knowledge, you know how to know other things. So if you don't know, have all this other knowledge, you just use BMI. But as you get to know more and you have more instruments to use, you can get more specific, you can be more precise with the body composition. Helps you in your health counseling. Okay. Yes. What you want to do is give as close and good information as you can that's consistent with standards for healthy living. And so that's why you would use these kinds of norms. So if you're doing blood pressure and it's consistently in this area, you'd say this is in the borderline area. If it's in this area, we say that's high risk, that's high blood pressure. And you should have it checked again. You don't just say you have high blood pressure, but it's in the high range. You need to have it checked again. And if it remains high, that can do damage to your heart and arteries. And you'll want to see your doctor about that. If it's in the really high range, say it's about a 160 or 190 or 200, then you should say you should call your doctor today and tell him what your blood pressure is and ask him what he tells you to do. I'll probably tell you to come on in. <laughs> that's it, that's the limit that go yeah, because we don't diagnose disease or treat it. But we can tell them that you're in this range for a healthy population. You're in the high-risk range. That's something you really ought to see your doctor about. So let's say we're doing percent body fat. <clears throat> and they're in the healthy range. We congratulate them on what they're doing and tell them if they want to keep it there, what do they need to do? You need to eat well and stay active, because if you don't, it's like everybody else that's going to be up here pretty quick, aren't they? The people in this range, we tell them you're in the range of which your risk is going up. So you need to really be careful about what you're eating and your exercise so that you don't get up into the high-risk range. <clears throat> so you want to stabilize it and, if possible, lower it a little bit. People who are in the high-risk range, 
uh, you just let them know that people who are in this range are, are at high risk for health problems. If you're doing a fitness evaluation, a complete fitness evaluation, we always have them sign a waiver. <clears throat> I think there's an example in your, in your packet. And basically the waiver tells them that they're responsible for their health. We will advise you what we can, but you, you need to go to the doctor and take care of a problem if you have it, because we're not treating it. And that gives you some help on that. Yeah. Well, the fitness, uh, the fitness index that's there. Yeah, if you do all of those, uh, we do this for corporations all the time. And uh, it's important to, uh, have to do that properly. There's a manual called the American College of Sports Medicine Fitness Exercise Guidelines. And if you want to get into specifics on that, they talk about all of those kinds of things and give you examples of informed consent and, and so on. What we're doing here is kind of an educational approach. Okay, so it's good to have all these little tools. Someday, uh, well at home, I have a, an exercise bag is what I do. And uh, I also take a stethoscope and a regular one because if some people say, well, I want you to listen to it. <laughs> so I listen to it. <laughs> and then I have this one and I have the grip strength thing and I have the body composition and, and I have my little measure for here. And it's my little toolkit. And I can take that to any place I want with my computer and you can do a complete fitness evaluation and you can talk to people one-on-one, -on -one, talk to them about their health and things they need to make changes. So it's a toolkit for doing health promotion and particularly in this case for fitness. Now when you first start out, you don't have to have all of that, but we want to teach you about that so that you can. And the more information you have, what it does is it helps you to be able to have objective information with which to tell that person uh, how they can improve their life. We're here a short time, aren't we? So when we do the American College of Sports Medicine, we do about 40 hours of training in our workshop, and about four times this much. And and then we can give you a big long exam. <laughs> and uh, it's kind of tough. But uh, anyway, we get into much more in depth in those kinds of programs. Then you become certified as a health fitness instructor. No, bachelor's is fine. Usually in physical education or some other health related area. Uh, they may have some training online, but usually you come to a workshop where you can do things under an instructor, practicums. Okay, we've been sitting a while again. Should we stand up and stretch a little bit? <laughs> we'll do our stretching exercises. I don't know, do we want to make some room so that you can kind of move around a little? Okay, we said uh, stretching is important for everybody so we can keep our flexibility and it helps us to get around and do things and prevent injuries and helps our posture and our physique, and all kinds of things it has benefits for. And it doesn't take a lot, but at least two or three times per week if we take uh, a few minutes to stretch, uh, it'll keep you flexible. And most people who are really stiff as they get older, it's just because they haven't done it for 20 years. <laughs> By the way, we do have a test for flexibility. We can demonstrate that too if you'd like. And there's norms on your sheet so you can see how you're doing. So let's just start out with a little bit just because we've been kind of sitting a little bit and just kind of move around. Why don't we just kind of 
warm up our muscles and at least get the blood stirring a little bit. Get the muscles ready for some stretching a little bit. I was going to take you out and walk you around the building one time, but got time or not okay now let's just do a simple one on the side and a good one for the back and just reach as high as you can and then lean over as well and you should feel it stretching on the outside here okay and just relax a little bit now on this one the same thing bring it up let the other hand kind of slide down your leg and reach as high as you can Feel that stretch all along there. And how long are we supposed to hold it for? 10 to 30 seconds. Okay, so that's a good stretch. How many times are we supposed to do them? Three. Two to four times. This is the American College of Sports Medicine direction, so we won't probably do each one that long, but just get things going. Can you feel your back doing some things? I did. <laughs> Two or three vertebrae kind of... <laughs> slipping along there and it's good to loosen those up a little bit. My wife thinks it's really good when the back pops and stuff. She says, oh, that was good. <laughs> no, keep them straight. Okay. So that's kind of a nice stretch up and down the back. And then the other way that we want to do this spine is uh, looking over our shoulder, isn't it? So you can put your hands in front of you or whatever just so you don't walk the guy next to you. <laughs> and then just turn Gradually, and whenever you do these, do them uh, slowly. And then go to a full range and then hold it there. And as you're holding it, it doesn't hurt to go just a little bit further, as long as it doesn't hurt, just to get a full stretch. Okay, and then we relax and we come back the other way. Okay, as far as you can. Don't go to the point where it hurts, but stop before that, but as far as you can. You hold it for about five or 10 seconds and then see if you can go just a little bit further and get a really good stretch there. Okay, feel that one? Okay, so we've done the back on, on sidewards and this way, what other way do we have to do? Forward, don't we? Okay, best way to do that, some people do it standing. I don't recommend that because it puts a lot of pressure on the lower spine there. So to take that off, you simply sit down. I'm going to take my shoes off too, it's easier. Okay, now most of us, particularly if we're walkers and runners, the muscles on the back of our legs will be tight. And so this is a real good exercise or stretching for, for walking because when you walk, you use the muscles on the back, the calves and the legs. And so keeping those stretched out. Now the first time you do it, you probably won't be able to reach your toes. Okay, just reach forward, keep your knees straight. Okay, don't, don't let the knees bend. And uh, this is one time that the ladies usually do better than us men, because they seem to be more flexible. Okay, and then just kind of relax. Okay, the next time now, as you go out, see if you can go an inch or two further. Now don't hurt yourself, don't go to the place, don't go to the place where it hurts your back, just where it's tight. And then we hold that for about 10 seconds, or, and if you've got more time, you can hold it longer. Okay, and then we relax. Okay, and the third time, let's see, 
if you can reach your toes this time. You notice when he first started, it was almost impossible to reach the toes, wasn't it? And now we're out past the toes a little bit. Okay, and we hold that for about 10 seconds. Okay, and we can relax. Now I'll show one more way to do it, and this is even a little safer way yet on the back. And this time we'll just lay on the back. And we'll, if I come out here a little further, does that help? Or see everyone? This time we'll lay on the back and we'll put your foot up in the air. Now there's no pressure at all on the back, is there? And you feel it in the back of the leg, but not on the spine. And the first time, you bring it up as about as vertical as you can and try to keep your toes down. Don't point them, but come and put them this way towards the ground. And you feel that in the back of your knee? Okay. And then I just have people relax a little bit. We'll do this one three times too. And this time, See, keep it straight as you come up. The first time it might have been bent a little bit. See if you can keep it straight this time. You can even actually put your hand on it and kind of pull gently. And we'll count to about 10. Keep the toe down. It's hard, but it uh, stretches the calf a little bit better. Okay, we'll relax. And then uh, you can alternate feet while you do that if you want. But this time we're gonna do it on the same leg because you'll notice the third time, you keep it straight, and you'll come back, and you can hold your leg right up there, 90 degrees. Okay, you feel that stretching? So that's a real good way to stretch everything on the back of the leg. And you notice on that one, there's no strain at all on the back, is there? Just leave it flat, or you can bend it if you don't want to, but I usually use it flat. Okay, just so that we don't get too unbalanced, we better do the other leg, hadn't we? Now, the first time I do it, my knee's always bent just a little bit, because I tend to be tight there. Just get a good stretch. Okay, and we'll relax a minute. Okay, and one more. This time, hold it straight before you bring it up. Bring it up as high as you can. Same stretches this. Well, this one just stretches the leg, doesn't do much for the back. The other one gets the lower back too. Uh huh. Okay, and then the last time, see if you can keep it all straight. Reach as high as you can. Keep the toes down, pointing towards your head if you can. And feel that good stretch back there. Okay, so now we've kind of. <laughs> when I teach the stress management course, we do that. And we have you all just stretch right out on the carpet and close your eyes, and then we do some visualization. And at the end, we say, we're just going to take a minute or two here. If you fall asleep, that's okay. And about half the people go to sleep. <laughs> and uh, it's a great relaxation exercise. Okay. Just while we're here sitting, we might as well just do a couple more. Let's do the... Uh, a little thing where we tuck our feet under. If it's easier to take your shoes off, feel free to do that. And at the same time, that's a good stretch just sitting that way for the hips, isn't it? We're not used to doing that in our culture. Other cultures, they sit around like this all the time where they don't have chairs. <laughs> okay? Yeah. And so there's a couple of them we can do from here. Let's start with the one where we put the hand on the knee. And this, again, is for the back and the spine. 
and sometimes you can stretch a little more this way than you can when you're standing. Okay? And you go around as far as you can and just hold that. Remember, we're going to do about 10 seconds. And about halfway through, just see if you can turn just a little bit more, and you get a really good stretch there. And I'll hold that. If you want maximum stretch, you can go for up to 30 seconds. If you go longer than that, you don't get any really more benefit. Okay. Same thing on the other side. Go as round as you can, comfortably without hurting. Get a good stretch. And then go just a little bit further. Get a little bit more stretch. All right. And then let's relax. And so you could do that on each side two to four times, at least a couple of times. Now this time we're going to be sitting like this. We're going to just lean forward a little bit. Go real easy on these because it uh, depends on what you've been doing recently. You don't want to hurt something. And just kind of stretch out. Now my wife, she can go down and almost put her head on the ground, but not me. <laughs> okay. Do you feel that both in the hips and the legs as well as in your lower back? But it's a nice way to do it on your lower back because it's free to move if it needs to, and it's a nice, easy stretch on it. Okay, and just relax a minute. And then we'll do one more. This time you notice you can go another inch or two further. Now here's our physical therapist. You see, that's the way you should look when you're limber. <laughs> you can just stretch way out there. <laughs> yeah, okay. You can relax a minute now. Now this time, I want you to just lean forward slowly like this, and then just stand right up. <laughs> That'll take a little practice. <laughs> Don't get your leg over your, over your neck. <laughs> we don't go that far. <laughs> okay, practice on that one. Uh, now, let's do some things for the head and the neck. Uh, to start with, it's just, again, you can just turn. We kind of done that, so we won't spend too much time on that. But one direction we didn't get is the sideward way, did we? So this time, let's just bend the head this way. And if you want to, you can put your hand on there, and just gently, don't want to go too far. And just stretch that a little bit. We have a lot of people who have a lot of pain in the neck and things. And keeping that stretched out is good. There, there might vertebrae pop now. <laughs> so I'm ready to go to the other side. <laughs> you hear some creaking going on there? There's my scoliosis. I, I have a lot of creaking in my spine. And just stretch it out gently. And as you hold a little bit, it kind of goes a little further. But don't go so hard you hurt something. Couple of times on each side. What was that again? Uh, two to four times. So three would be a good number, wouldn't it? What do you tell your patients? Three times. Okay, so that's right there in the middle. Okay, and then there's one other one. This time we're going to be leaning forward. Are you looking for a roster sheet? Who's got the roster sheet? Thank you. Thanks. And this time you just look down, tuck your chin in, 
and uh, stretch forward and hold it. And then just very gently. And some people you don't want to go back. The older people who have balance problems, it's best not to go back. If you don't have a balance problem, you can just look up. Usually you have plenty of flexibility going back. It's the one going down that you have trouble. Now when I had this muscle wasting disease when I was young, my back had all those problems. I couldn't put my chin down far enough ever to see the front of my body. As lowest I could get it is about right here. But over the years, by doing the stretching and things, now I can go down and it's fairly normal. But for years, I could never see the front of my body. Okay. So that's kind of stretching the neck, isn't it? Now let's just do one or two more for the shoulders. I think we did a few of these yesterday. One of them is just standing really tall, good posture, keep the abdomen kind of firm, tuck in the hips a little, and then just pull these way back and feel it right between your shoulder blades. Feel that? Okay, and then just relax a little. Okay, once more. Good stretch. At the same time, you're kind of strengthening the muscle between your shoulder blades, so it's kind of doing two things at once. And then a little variation on that. We can put this one kind of behind our back. And take this. And pull gently. And you can feel not only your shoulder, but kind of up and down your body there a little bit. Feel that? Real good stretch for the shoulder and arm. Kind of pat yourself on the back there. Good job. <laughs> okay, next one. The thing is to go slow and go easy. You don't want to go fast and hurt something. But you just want to stretch it gently and, and back your arm and in your shoulder, your shoulder joints and those kinds of things. All right, we can relax. And then we had one other one we did in the corner. And if you're tight in here and you tend to be round-shouldered, you need to stretch this out a little bit. And probably the best way is uh, in your house is just find a corner, put a hand on each side, and then just lean in. And you can feel that stretches the chest really well, more so than you can do by just pulling your hands back. And uh, some of you might want to try that one. Uh, two or three times per week is the recommendation. Uh, if you want to do them every day, that's okay. It'll keep you limber, but at least two or three times a week. Okay, now I've got just a couple more. This, you'd only need to do about eight or ten to get the major muscle groups. We did the back of the legs, so we need to do the front of the legs, don't we? So if you have a chair close by and you need to balance yourself just a little bit, and then just... Uh, Grab the back of your foot and uh, pull on that until you feel it tight on the front of your leg. Do you feel that? And uh, pull it up there so it's a good stretch. And then let that relax. Okay. Other side. Tricky, isn't it?
pull a little tighter about halfway through to get a real good stretch. All right. Now, the only one we haven't stretched is the back of the legs, and I think we demonstrated that one yesterday, didn't we? Where you lean against the wall and stretch out these muscles. And then we said the last time you lean against the wall and you bend your knees, and we get both of those muscles on the back of the leg. This media was produced by Audioverse for the NAD Health Summit. If you would like to learn more about the NAD Health Summit, please visit www.nadhealthsummit.com or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.